We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Bill, after this offseason, I think we need to have a little fun. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's been an offseason of realignment talk and playoff talk and NIL talk. And quite frankly, that gets boring after a while, other than USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. So, I, you know, that's all going to get shelved as soon as we get the games. And I think we're here to talk about week one, where I always tell people, it, the the caution is not to overreact to every first down, every play, every tweet, every it, it's it's fun because it starts on that Thursday. But by the time Labor Day is over and that Monday night game's over, it it's a lot to digest and a lot a lot of overreactions when the end of the road is probably going to be Alabama, Georgia, or Ohio State anyway. So just you know, calm down and and try to have fun watching it. We can't skip to the end. We got to. We're celebrating a five-day football festival kickoff here on Labor Day weekend. So um, that's what we're going to do here today on this show. We're going to look at the the you know college football kickoff is five days over Labor Day weekend. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Nationally televised games every day, and we are going to look at the best game of each day. Tell you why it's important. Tell you why to watch, and uh, and kind of give you some storylines to track. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Thursday, uh, there's a decent slate, and well, there's nowhere else to start but the Backyard Brawl, the renewal of the Backyard Brawl. It's been since 2011 that Pitt and West Virginia have, uh, have paired, squared off, and uh, this year it's going to be uh, it's a 7 o'clock game on ESPN. Uh, the two schools, are, it's interesting. I had a, a, a friend at school when I was in college. He was, grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia, and uh, I got some insight into the whole West Virginia Pittsburgh dynamic. He was a huge Pirates fan. He was a huge Steelers fan, but he did not like the Pitt Panthers. Bill, I'll tell you that. What 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 goes through your mind when you hear a renewal of the backyard brawl? <laughs> You're gonna hate me. I don't even think it's the big, biggest game of the day. It's Penn State and Purdue's a bigger <laughs> game. It's a more entertaining game. But for the sake of this podcast, I mean, I'm an Ohio guy. We don't. If I take off. Pure, okay, I'm going to take off the journalist hat and tell you, Ohio people, we have a thing for West Virginians, and we, we definitely have a thing for people from Pittsburgh because they think that the Ohio River doesn't touch them. But as far as Pittsburgh and West Virginia go, you know, Pitt, great season coming off the ACC championship with Kenny Pickett. Um, everybody's going to bring up the flashbacks of the, the 2007 game. We know we're going to see that montage where – Bill, I didn't realize until I looked back. I mean, Pat White broke his or dislocated his thumb in that game. That played a little bit of a role in that, and I totally forgot about that. But I looked this up. So since 2008, when that the year after that game, West Virginia is 105 and 71. Pitt's 105 and 76. These are two programs that left the Big East. They're under 60 percent. They've struggled for their identity in their other conferences. I think that's fair to say. And Pitt finally broke through and won the ACC. But yeah, of course these two hate each other. It's, it's, it's going to be a fun game. I think they'll play to 28. And, and the, the, the definition of an irony is you've got two former USC quarterbacks in the game who, who are, you know, California and USC, that's the absolute antithesis of Pittsburgh and West Virginia. Yeah, so it's the first year of a four-year contract, and then they have another four-year contract, I guess, from 2029 to 2032. So we will have – Backyard brawls in our lives over the next 10 years for a a good chunk of them. You mentioned that 2007 game. Uh, Mike DeCourcy here at SportingNews.com is going to take a deep dive into into that game and talk to uh, players and coaches from both sides of it. Uh, Of course, West Virginia entered the game, number two in the nation. All they had to do was win the game and get to the national championship. They were 10-1. and They were facing a Pittsburgh team that was 4-7. and and West Virginia was at home. Pittsburgh did have a decent defense that, that, that year. They forced five West Virginia fumbles and walked away with a 13-9 to heartbreaker for the Mountaineers. Um, so that, is gonna, that, is, that was the 100th meeting of the Backyard Brawl, too, it happened to be. So um, Mike is going to do a great job diving back into that game. And, uh, you know, Rich Rod, 
Uh, that was his last game is with for, with the Mountaineers. You remember his departure, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it changed the course of Michigan football. It changed the course of West Virginia football. Honestly, when Rich Rodriguez was there, was the last time they were really cool. I know Geno Smith came after and they they scored 70 points, but it's been a it's been a struggle. And their identity in the Big 12, like I said, Neil Brown comes in. This is a big game for them. I think there's more pressure on West Virginia to get Neil Brown going, get JT Daniels going, a well-traveled quarterback that's been at USC. <laughs> the, the craziest part is there were a considerable cross-section of Georgia fans that wanted him to start against Alabama last year, and now he doesn't, Stetson does, and, and the rest is history, and JT ends up in West Virginia. I think he'll do okay in that offense. Hit, of course, Pat Narduzzi. Um, they're going to be pretty good. I think despite losing Jordan Addison and Kenny Pickett and Mark Whipple, that's a lot. Pat finally got that program on track um, the way he wanted. And I don't, I, you know, they're pretty good on the interior on both sides. They're going to be a factor in that ACC race. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, but still not better than Penn State Pitt. And there will be more points, more excitement, more touchdowns in Penn State Pitt, which is probably where I'll be flipping to a little bit more. Um, okay. Well that, that'll wrap up Thursday. Let's look at Friday. Friday's slate has eight games. Uh, none of them are, uh, top, top line, but there are, uh, eight power five teams, uh, in, in action. Um, but if you have some high school football obligations, you got a, you got a son or a daughter involved in the football, or the team or the band or what have you, you know, you're not going to miss a ton if you happen to go to a high school football game on Friday night. However, Actually, the, the Friday night of last year's Labor Day weekend, the nation was introduced to uh, to Kenneth Walker and uh, Michigan State routed Northwestern in a game that really, you know, foretold both their seasons. Really, uh, Northwestern ended up three and nine. Michigan had a, Michigan State had a great great season. So, uh, but this year, speaking of Michigan State, we're going to look at the Western Michigan at Michigan State game Friday night. Uh, it's the game we want to highlight for the for Friday of Labor Day weekend. That's seven o'clock game on ESPN, and um, you know you you spent some time uh, at the Big Ten Media Days talking with Mel Tucker, uh, researching some Michigan State. Uh, what did you learn? And what did you write about in terms of uh, you know Mel and not really lowering the bar for his program after they won eleven games last year? I mean, they're going to be good. They're going to be solid, and uh, he worked the transfer portal again. Um, they've created a lot of momentum for that. They've used Kenneth Walker the third as a standard. They bring in two new running backs, Jarek Broussard from uh, Colorado. I mean, he averaged 5.2 yards per carry the last couple of years. So, you know, they, they play with the same edge. It's very similar to when they had Mark D'Antonio. It's a different model, but I think Mel Tucker brings that kind of little brother chip on the shoulder and they, they use it to their advantage. And, they're not Michigan's little brother. I mean, if you look at the last 15 years, they've got a 10-5 advantage in that rivalry. But um, as far as this game, I mean, they're the master of the Friday night opener. They've been doing that for years. They're playing Western Michigan. I think actually the most interesting thing about this game is Peyton Thorne, the Michigan State quarterback, is playing against his dad, who's the Western Michigan offensive coordinator, Jeff Thorne. Um, I was thinking about that. Like, as a, as a kid – I remember my dad beating me in Tecmo Bowl and being pissed off about it for like 20 years, like, cause he wasn't allowed to beat me in Tecmo Bowl. But as a father, I think 
you know, I, I feel for Jeff Thorne in this spot because I feel like when he's supposed to be doing his job and flipping through when, when Michigan State's on offense, he's going to want to look up and watch his son play. I think, I think he has the harder job of the two in this game by a lot. Yeah, I like Thorne. I, I, I got a chance to cover the Peach Bowl uh, last year, and uh, Michigan State played Pitt. Uh, Thorne played pretty well. He threw for over 300 yards. Michigan State pulled it out in the fourth quarter. Um, and yeah, you know, I learned a little bit about that team that week and I think they are, you know, poised to stay near the top of the, uh, of the big 10 East for sure. You know, the Ohio state game last year showed just how far they have to go to get to Ohio state. Um, you know, so we saw the highs and lows of one season, uh, for Michigan state last year. And, uh, you know, of course they locked up Mel Tucker, keep him away from the NFL. Um, but I think, you know, like you said, they're they're 19 and a half point favorites this game. So I think that the, the storyline of the Thorns may be the one to watch. Yeah, and, and building momentum toward that Washington game. I mean, Michigan State's a team that we can take or leave pretty quick based on their non-con. And, and that's why we really started to take them serious last year in the Miami game. And, and then it built from there. So I think they'll be a factor in the Big Ten East race for sure. And uh, this will be one of those games. And if you're looking for a flipping option on Friday night, I mean, I'll flip over to Illinois, Indiana a little bit. Those are two Big Ten teams that see what Brett Bielema's got. I mean, it's a bigger year for Tom Allen. I remember this time last year, people were, you know, can Indiana keep the momentum? No, it, 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 they can fade from national consciousness pretty quick. So that's a big game for the Hoosiers, too. All right, Bill, let's move to Saturday, the main dish of the weekend. The main dish, and we'll stick with the uh, – the top line game will, with a game that you're going to be at in Columbus, Ohio, uh, ESPN or ABC actually will be there. 730, of course, number five, Notre Dame, number two, Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State enters as a 15 and a half point favorite, uh, even though it's only a top uh, top five, you know, it's a top five matchup or whatever. Um, you wrote about how Ohio State's offense could be the best in college football history. Tell us why. Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime you have top offense and yards and points, and I've looked at LSU in 19 with Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and then Alabama in 20. And then the stat we were going back and forth off is, you know, every skill position player that played in the Alabama-LSU game, every receiver, running back, quarterback, second round or, or higher in the NFL draft. And only two of those guys were second round picks. That's where the game is now. It's scoring a ton of points. It's having mismatches on the perimeter. And Ohio State has all of that. They have first round pick at quarterback, CJ Stroud, first round running back, Travion Henderson, two first round receivers at least out of Jackson Smith, Jigba and Marvin Harrison. And that's everything you're hearing in fall camp is, well, Emeka, Buka and Julian Fleming is healthy, and those were five-star guys. I, I think they create a ridiculous amount of mismatches on that side, but so the caution is they had all this stuff last year. They had Chris Olave, They had Garrett Wilson. They had a dynamic offense. So it comes down to can Notre Dame go in there with a first, you know, young quarterback who hasn't started in that environment? Can they run the football, which they didn't do in the bowl game, and kind of play keep away a little bit like Oregon and Michigan did. And can they, you know, you know, 
the listeners don't know, I live in Pickerington, Lorenzo Styles. Does he emerge as this go-to receiver around Michael Meyer and especially with Avery Davis out? So, yeah, it's it's as good as it gets. I, I think it's going to be closer than people think, too. I think Notre Dame is better than people think. It's just the emotions of that game. A lot of people around here, and I live in Columbus, assume that this is going to be a, a boat race or whatever you want to call it. I, I think it's going to be a little bit closer based on the fact it's a top-five showdown. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not in the camp that Notre Dame should be a top five team preseason this year. Um, you know, I'm, 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 if I'm Notre Dame, I'm concerned about, you know, Marcus Freeman taking the reins for the first time. Um, I did a little research and, and, and drew a parallel to uh, a, another young defensive coordinator who became a first time head coach at a blue blood. And his name was Kirby Smart, who recruited his butt off just like Freeman's doing. But his first season on the sideline as the head man, they were seven and five. They barely beat Nickel State. They had to come from behind to beat Nickel State, obviously at home. Uh, they had a disastrous game against Tennessee where they scored a touchdown to take the lead with 10 seconds left and then had an excessive celebration penalty. The kick return was to the 50-yard line. Tennessee had one shot at it and, and hit on the Hail Mary. Uh, they also lost at home to Vanderbilt that year. Clearly, Georgia had tons more talent than Vanderbilt that season. Kirby came up on the short end. So there were some questions. They went 7-5 and five and went to Liberty Bowl. Now, year two on, Georgia's been in the thick of the national championship discussion every year. He's still recruiting at an you know, extremely elite level. So everything uh, you know, smoothed out for Kirby after year one. Maybe the same things happened with, with Marcus Freeman, but you know his 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 bowl game. Uh, you know Notre Dame put a lot of emphasis on that game. They wanted to win that Fiesta Bowl. It was not just an exhibition game for them. They have a long drought of winning a major bowl, and they came out and they, they played really well early. They took a twenty-eight to seven lead, and then they just absolutely fell apart. They collapsed on offense and defense. They gave up six hundred and five yards to a very pedestrian. Oklahoma State offense against a pedestrian quarterback, really. And they are not facing a pedestrian offense and a pedestrian quarterback here in Columbus. So, um, you know, but they I need don't to. Know. I, I mean, that sounds like a little bit like excuses because I still think it is the, the fifth best team in the country right now. Because if it's not them, who is it, Bill? It's not Texas AM. You know, it's not Michigan right now. It's not. Utah? Are you taking Utah over Notre Dame? I'm not. I mean, Notre Dame's got the roster. They've yeah. got the coach. They've got the OC they want. They've got to be able to run the ball better. But – and they're recruiting at a higher level. So, I know Ohio State fans aren't hearing those. They're not going to hear those when they come in because it's – Notre Dame, that's the mission, right? I To me, they look like the bridge between that top three – High State, Alabama, Georgia, they're their own neighborhood. Clemson's next, then Notre Dame. Those are the five best programs in the country right now. So, But Notre Dame is not at that level right now because they need to recruit at a Georgia level and an Alabama level. And by all accounts, this game is huge for recruiting too. I mean, so like Notre Dame can't go in there and go get beat 52-14 with the 10 best prospects in the Midwest watching this game. So... I don't know. I, I give Notre Dame more credit than people want to give them nationally. I think they're better than people think. And, you know, you, you don't go in that game to go get 
beat 52-14. There's going to be a lot of emotion around this game, more so than any other game in week one, I think. Yeah, I just I look at it and say a, a team that finishes number five in the country is generally 11-1-ish. and one ish. And if they lose to Ohio State, you're asking Marcus Freeman to go 11-0 the rest of the season and, in, and Tyler Buckner to go 11-0 the rest of the season. And uh, a wide receiver room that, like you mentioned, Avery Davis is hurt, and it's extremely thin. It was extremely thin to begin with, and then they lost a very dependable slot guy. I really liked him. Um, and so that's a tall task, too, I think. So, um, But it's going to be fun. I mean, that's the game that everybody's going to be talking about, going to be waiting for all day. Um, you know, there's going to be lots of NFL talent on the field. And, uh, and if you and the two it, teams haven't played in forever, and then they're two of the blue bloods in the Midwest. So it's going to be fun to, to see them on the same field. That's the one thing I'm looking forward to most is I was telling somebody that a couple weeks ago, the 95 game was on Big Ten Network, and I was doing something else. I was tracking the kids or whatever, and the TV just sounded loud. And I didn't even have it up. And I looked up, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That game was super loud when Ohio State and Notre Dame played. And um, you can go back and watch that game. Notre Dame was in the game in the fourth quarter. I know it's famous for the Eddie George run and the Terry Glenn catch, but Notre Dame turned the ball over a lot in that game. So that's the big key. You can't turn the ball over. Bookner has to play well. And just to give any – here's the flip side of it real quick is, you know, Ohio State, they lost to Oklahoma in 2017 at home. They lost to Virginia Tech at 2014 at home. They lost to USC in 09, and of course the Texas game in 06. But and then Oregon last year. It's not they can be beat at home. It's the Big Ten teams that have trouble beating them in the shoe. But it's happened a couple times. And if you let's say Notre Dame wins, there'll be a lot of heat on Ryan Day then because you lose the Oregon game last year. You lose to Michigan for the first time in a decade. And you're going to lose to Notre Dame for the first time in, you know, my lifetime. They've only played six times, right. so it's, it's you got to go like all the way back to the '30s since Notre Dame beat them. It would be catastrophic loss for Ohio State if Notre Dame can go in there and win that game, got because it. nobody thinks they can do it. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, 15 and a half points—that's a lot. You know, the the the, the betters are certainly siding with the Buckeyes. Um, Trivia question for you, Bill. You ready? Uh Don't give me the answer to the end of the show. Okay. Last time Ohio State opened against a top five team. Be curious to see if you can remember that game. All right, we'll move to Sunday. Sunday night in New Orleans. Unranked Florida State against unranked LSU. But it's still going to be a fun game. Two Two big brands, of course, going out. Uh, both or LSU's on the fringe of the top 25, of course, and uh, they probably would be ranked if they win this game. LSU is a three-point favorite. Brian Kelly makes his debut. I think you'd like to, you know, everybody's curious to see not only how he does in a new locale and a new league, but it's with a very uh, new roster. Um, and I think LSU turned over a lot uh, in the transfer portal this year. There's some talent. Uh, what do you think? What do you expect of Brian Kelly in this opener? Oh, he'll be fine. I, the line does stick out. It's just a three-point game and and three-point line for LSU, a team that uh, has receivers. Obviously, lost Miles Brennan this week, so it's Jaden Daniels' show. And 
We know BK from his time at Notre Dame fickle with quarterbacks, so there could be some moving around there. I mean, I was genuinely surprised at the line. I assumed when I looked this up that it'd be like six and a half or seven for LSU because Florida State's been a disaster in their openers. And uh, Mike Norvell, I mean, you tell me since Jimbo Fisher left, your program's 19 and 27. <laughs> you put out a stat on Twitter earlier this week. How many years was it Bobby Bowden was in the top five? 15? 14 like, straight. 14. So, I mean, yeah, it's a make or break year for Mike Norvell. And as you pointed out, I can't take credit for this. You're a Florida State fan. What are you watching before the game, Bill? What Before Florida State, LSU, what's on ESPN? Three o'clock ESPN2. Deion Sanders will be leading Jackson State against Florida A&M uh, with the number one recruit, uh, number one uh, freshman in the country, Travis Hunter, playing both ways at corner and wide receiver. And if Dion and Jackson State have a big game and Florida State goes down, yeah, what are the water coolers going to be in Tallahassee on Monday morning? You tell me, Bill. That would be bad. And, you know, they, they need to have a winning season. They need to get to a bowl game. They need to show that they can compete in the ACC Atlantic, and that's not a guarantee this year. Um, they need Jordan Travis to come through at quarterback. He had some moments last year. I mean, I go back to last year on Labor Day. We all watched the game. They pushed Notre Dame to the limit, and then we really didn't hear much about Florida State the rest of the year. Not, not Actually, even week, two, week two, they lost to Jacksonville State. Then we really didn't hear about them. Right? <laughs> no, I mean, like, in a good way. I mean, Mackenzie Milton was a good story, and then it just it spiraled downhill from there. I just think with Mike Norvell, all the strides you made in recruiting, then Dion takes the top kid. And everybody likes to draw lines to Dion to Florida State. I don't think that's a slam dunk because – Dion does seem very committed to the HBCU mission that he's done there and elevating the program and the conference and everything that comes with it. But um, maybe Florida State could pull him away. I mean, that's what people are going to want the more he wins at Jackson State and the more Mike Norvell. This was a team at the beginning of the college football playoff era was better than Clemson. Like Clemson had to climb that mountain. And now – they're not better than Wake Forest. They're not better than Louisville. It's stunning how far they've fallen off the map. Yeah, they've you know uh, Norvell took over the pandemic season was his first season. He went three and six, and then five and seven last year. Uh, obviously hasn't hasn't made a bowl game yet. Uh, last year they had six games decided by three points, but you know, that they, they ranged, like I said, from Notre Dame to Jacksonville state and they were both three point games. So, you know, that was the the floor and the ceiling for that program and they have not figured it out. And uh, you know, I don't know how much of a coincidence it is, but it's very interesting to see that Dion will have his uh, moment in the sun uh, pretty much unopposed. There's no other games on Sunday afternoon. Uh, right before Florida State takes the field in, in a, in a high-profile and difficult environment. So, um, all right, let's move on to Monday. Everybody will be uh, uh, tuned in. There's one more game Monday night. It's going to be at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium here in Atlanta. I will be uh, covering it. It's at 8 o'clock on ESPN. Clemson, Georgia Tech. Clemson is a 21-point favorite. Uh, what are you looking for this year? Or, or what is this game is going to show you for the rest of the year for Clemson? I mean, people are going to watch the quarterbacks. We know the defense is going to be really good around 
Kaspersky and Miles Murphy and Trenton Sipson, those guys are all first round players. And, and it, this demise of Clemson narrative is just funny to me because they're still, maybe you could say that in three years, but they've recruited enough on that roster of four and five star talent that they should dominate the ACC every year. Um, at least for the next couple years, the coordinators, I don't care. Like, I don't care that they have new offensive and defensive coordinators because those guys have been there. And sometimes you, a fresh set of eyes doesn't hurt. So Streeter and Goodwin, cool with that. Um, quarterback plays where it's at, though. Uh, is it DJ Uwangalele, who I don't want to look back and see? I think we had him number two or number three last year on our top 25 QBs. I, I blame you for not editing that out, by the way. You've got to edit my article better and take that out there. Um, um, the nine TDs, 10 interceptions last year. And the I looked this up. So the last five seasons before that, between Watson and Lawrence, you were getting 32 touchdowns and nine picks. So that's what it is. They need, whether it's Yuan Galele, whether it's Kate Klubnik, they need better quarterback play. And that's what people are going to overanalyze in that game because they should, in theory, win comfortably. Yeah, I mean, they got a five-star quarterback waiting in the bullpen should Uyunglele struggle again like he did last year. I think the two new coordinators, I think that will be an adjustment. It's something that, that um, Dabo has not had to deal with during this you know, elite run that he has put together. So we'll see. Um, you know, there's something to say for the continuity in there, although they did, you know, they stayed in-house. Uh, you know, as far as Georgia Tech goes, they, they you know, Collins definitely on the hot seat in year four. Um, I think it's interesting narrative, I think, with Collins a little bit in that, you know, year one was essentially a, a free pass. It was a year zero because he's going from triple option to, a, you know, pro style offense. And they struggled. They only won three games. And then year two was the pandemic season where they, they went three and seven. Um, and again, when you're building from absolute scratch or even below scratch, having the pandemic in there is not going to help a guy who's like focused on recruiting and things like that. Last year, they had some close games. They played Clemson the 60 minutes, if you remember, uh, early in the season at Clemson. Clemson had to survive uh, or had to put together two goal line stands in the last two minutes to, to preserve the win against Georgia Tech. And then, um, you know, they had some other close games and then they fell apart the last the end of the year. They lost their last two games 100 to nothing to Notre Dame and Georgia. Two great teams, but you can't lose 100 to nothing. So. Um, when that happened, it, it kind of flipped and, and, and his year zero was no longer excused and his pandemic season was no longer excused. Um, looking at the roster this year for Georgia Tech, there's not a lot on the offensive line. Um, and that's going to be a challenge against Clemson's defensive line for sure. They've got all Americans backing up all Americans over there. And, uh, you know, they lost their. They're running back Jamar Gibbs to uh, Alabama. He was a great receiver out of the backfield. He could return kicks. He was a good runner. Um, so, you know, they're going to struggle this year. It's definitely a challenge to open with Clemson. And, um, you know, I don't know that Collins got a free, uh, got a fair shake if, if he does, you know, end up getting let go in terms of, you know, the, the challenge that was in front of them. I'm not sure how many people could have, could have dug out and, and transformed that, uh, that program that, you know, needed to get away from the triple option into a pro style option. I mean, pro style offense, and then go through the pandemic as well. well. He, he took the wrong job at the wrong time. 
because he's got a monster in his backyard. You can't – they're so far behind Georgia. And, you know, the thought was sound that you had to get away from the triple option. You had to recruit – you could get enough guys in Georgia, which is one of the best high school states in the country, that you can run your offense. So it has taken time, and you, you hit it. The COVID year didn't help. I mean, I watched Clemson beat these guys 73-7 to a couple years ago. And <laughs> – it wasn't good. Not, last year, it came down to that goal line stand and everything. So, I mean, it's early. So, I mean, I, you don't want to write him off yet, but Jeff Collins is certainly on one of the short list of hot seat coaches, like high up on that hot seat coach list because, you know, like I said, it's just it, – it's got to be hard when you're coaching with a monster in your backyard. That And that, yeah, the, the schedule this year does not help him either. No. have got Ole Miss and Georgia – two ranked SEC teams on the non-conference. They've got UCF, who's always a solid program on the non-conference. And then, of course, you know, they got uh, Clemson, I think, uh, Pitt and Miami, three three of the stronger ACC teams. They don't miss any of those guys either. So uh, an uphill uh, climb for sure. I think if he gets to six and six, he can probably save his job. Other than that, it's going to be difficult. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean – uh, last year's game was supposed to be a blowout too, and it was not. It was very fun. It went right down to the wire, and it was it was good. So that would wrap up uh, a wild festival. I can't wait till it starts. Bill, can you give me your answer to the trivia question? I wrote down kickoff classic, and I can't pick which one. I think it's Miami in a kickoff classic matchup at East Rutherford. But kickoff I classic. You are correct. East Rutherford, you are correct. Alabama. 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 So I was like, it was one or the other, and I couldn't decide. 1986, Alabama. That was a – yeah, because Ohio State definitely played in that twice, and they played Miami one year too. So I I might be – I'm off on the year, but I had the right – I got the – I get half credit for that at least. (laughs) Half credit, half credit. Alabama won that one one, 16-10. Ohio State ended up the season 10-3 and with a Cotton Bowl win. Well, no, and like to close it, like make a closing statement of sorts about that Ohio State Notre Dame game. I just growing up in Ohio, going to a Catholic school, it's a it's the game that there's a lot of public versus private high school tension around here on because we do have a high concentration of Catholics, and the Catholic programs around here are awesome. And um, and I live in a city where the public schools are really good at football, so. It's going to be awesome. The emotions around that game are going to be great. It's going to be cool to see the – I hope there's no alternate uniform plan. It should just be white uniforms, Notre Dame, regular uniforms, Ohio State. Um, And and I am struggling to believe – I think it will be the most watched game of the year. I think Texas A&M and Alabama and maybe Michigan and Ohio State could top it. But as far as a regular season game, I think this will be the most watched game of the year. And the longer Notre Dame hangs in it, the better. It, it'll make for some wonderful TV on September 3rd. We're looking yeah, forward we, to it. We didn't even talk about Marcus Freeman being an Ohio State alum. So there's that connection. Yeah, that too. So, um, yeah. Well, Bill, uh, I think I'm fired up. You're fired up for the for those five days. We thank everybody for listening. And uh, you can find us at CFB Nation. Thank you.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.